Hey, it's Arlene Bynan filling in for Alex Pearson, and here's the podcast for Tuesday, September the 1st. Does Canada need to rethink who it commemorates? We speak to Dr. Dawn Lavell-Harvard of the Ontario Native Women's Association. And why is U.S. President Donald Trump campaigning in Kenosha, Wisconsin? They don't want him there. We speak with Global News correspondent in Washington, Reggie Cicchini. And welcome back. For Alex Pearson, I'm Arlene Bynan. And one of the things we've been weaving in and out of, and we're going to talk about it also on our on our Counterpoint segment, is what the Prime Minister said about the downing of the John A. McDonald statue. And we've seen it. We've seen it happening in the United States. It has become a huge talking point. And it's one of those things where we say, how far is too far? And what is right? And what is wrong? And it just doesn't happen even with historical figures. It can also happen with more modern ones as well. We're rethinking things. And especially at this moment, as we watch this racial injustice and the way it's moved into our our sports world, and it used to be just one guy who was taking a knee, and now it's gone even further. How is it going to affect our politics, and how do we temper it? What's right? What's wrong? What's protest? What's violence? What's disrespect? And what is respect and changing things for a better way? All those are very valid questions. Our prime minister coming out uh, just yesterday and really condemning in his way those who brought down the statue of John A. MacDonald. Joining us is somebody with another point of view, Dr. Dawn Lavell-Harvard, president of the Ontario Native Women's Association. Dr. Lavell-Harvard, welcome. Thank you for being here. Thank you very much for having me. When you heard the prime minister come out and say that it was wrong to tear down the statues and asking for people to stop and take another look, what were you thinking? Well, I think one of the things the prime minister needs to realize is that after you know the apology for residential schools, after the national inquiry, you know, we need to see more action in righting the wrongs of history, or we are going to see more of this kind of thing. Unfortunately, not that I am ever advocating for violence, um, you know, certainly not against people, never advocating for that. But, you know, if we don't see progress, people are going to feel the need to push the boundaries to make sure their voices are heard. And if the government of, of the era are not willing to open up some meaningful opportunities for dialogue to right the wrongs of the past and actually start some meaningful truth-telling about those figures like Sir John A. Macdonald and their role in the genocidal practices that, you know, the attempts to eradicate Indigenous peoples, then this kind of thing is going to continue to happen. You know, the the Prime Minister talked a very good game in 2015, and I know within the Indigenous community there was a lot of disappointment for exactly what you're saying. There wasn't enough action. There was a lot of apologies, some of them even tearful, but not a lot of action on that file. Do you think that the pulling down of the statue is drawing attention that it may produce something positive? One can only hope, 
and I think the, it really is a result of society in general, not just Indigenous peoples, because as we've seen, whether it's across the United States or across mm-hmm. Canada now, it's not only Indigenous people saying this now. It's not only people of colour talking about the oppression of people of colour. It has become it a larger conversation in, in the wider society. We see these marches for Black Lives Matter, and you know there's a huge diversity of people speaking out now. And that is what we need in order to make a change. When this becomes an issue for, you know, the average Canadian taxpayer, whoever that <laughs> non-existent <laughs> person is, you know, it, it really starts to matter to those politicians who have not only the ability but the mandate to make Canada into what the people want. We just need to start understanding that the people of Canada are very different from what was imagined in a very, you know, two founding nations kind of identity that, you know, that's not who we are. That's not who we ever were. And people are starting to see that now and speak out. You know, as you say in your piece that engaging with monuments, even if it's through defacement, it brings history to life. How are you seeing that play out in this instance? Well, again, it's about truth telling. It's about people no longer uncritically accepting these, you know, mythological, the Sir Johnny McDonald's, the Lord Jeffrey Amherst, being held up as these idols of Canadian history in a, a mythical but yet one-dimensional kind of way that you're only looking at one aspect of them and completely ignoring you know, the genocidal practices that the Lord Jeffrey Amherst to advocated and you know, introduced the smallpox blankets to Indigenous communities to wipe out the people. We need to start telling both sides of the story, both, you know, the good and the ugly of what these people have done so that they're not held up as these mythological heroes. I mean, we've heard people say, well, they're only people. Of course, you know, they had their flaws. Absolutely. But if these flaws included genocidal practices, that needs to be told. We can't hide from the ugly part of our history anymore. What about those, and you've heard it, and they say it goes too far, you know, it takes away the message. It makes people say, you know what, I I, I feel differently, I want to change things, but here you are pulling things down, and nobody's perfect. And and as you say, maybe tell the whole story, but don't smash up the past. What do you say? Well, there's a little bit of conversation about this, that there's always a danger if we start eradicating all of the, the statues, if we start whitewashing Canadian history and removing the statues, removing the Sir John A. Macdonald from history, it might not seem possible right now because it's so very much in our face. But you can imagine a world 100 years from now where our kids you know, haven't been walking past the Sir John A. Macdonald statue on their way into their classroom of, you know, in Amherstburg or something, that they could potentially be in a world where that that history, that genocidal history has been erased from our history. So that's where we have to be really careful that in our attempt to tell the truth, in our attempt to remove the valorization of people who not who should not be held up as idols, that we're not facilitating a practice of whitewashing our history and erasing the shameful parts by erasing those people who introduced, supported, and perpetuated those genocidal practices. Is we this can't a, remove them from our history book. It, that it, it, allows amnesia for our whole country. Yeah, and that's what those who watch the defacing and the pulling down, and they say, are we trying to remove history? 
that's the other side as well. Well, and this is the thing. No, we're trying to correct history. We're trying to tell the real history. We're trying to tell an actual Canadian history, which includes that history of the oppression of Indigenous peoples that hasn't been told. And what would be you know, a really interesting opportunity and that nobody actually wants to hear is let's start building monuments to all the you know, thousands of Indigenous children that died in those residential schools. The, the survivors that survived those schools, the you know, tens upon thousands, perhaps millions of Indigenous people who died from the introduction of smallpox, the deliberate introduction. Let's start you know, building some of those monuments and some of those plaques and some of those real historical facts right next to these guys so that we're not allowing the whitewashing, we're not allowing the country to pretend that you know, these leaders of our nation didn't do these things, we need to start taking an active effort to educate the good, the bad, and the ugly of what they did, So that not so that we can belabor it and lament it, but so that we can understand and learn how we got to where we are today, so that we can right the wrongs and move forward in a better way, in a way that understands how you know, our, the original peoples became the poorest peoples in their own territory, and how those settlers who we welcome to this territory took over and, and are benefiting from the lands that we had all agreed to share. All right. Finally, let me ask you, you know, we're looking at protests, people looking at the statues. I know you're joining us reacting to the piece in the Globe and Mail in defense of the attention it gets. And you are explaining that very well here tonight. What are you thinking when you watch the protests in the United States? You see the politicizing and certainly that move forward even tonight from the president in the United States, the division in the United States and and what the protests are doing right now. Are they helping? Are they hurting? Do you sense a moment there as well? I mean, what scares me is, you know, we see people finally rising up against, you know, the oppression of people of color, the the Black Lives Matter movement, people finally speaking out against police oppression and brutality, which we're not against police and we're not against police, and we're against the abuse of police power against, vulnerable populations. I mean, we have seen that right here in Canada against Indigenous people with starlight tours, with, you know, we have seen the violence against our women, many of them missing and murdered. We have seen this again and again. So, I mean, I am amazed and that this has finally bubbled up and has come to the forefront. But I admit that it is really scary that it is being used as a political tool to, you know, increase the violence in the hopes of you know, having some larger political purpose is actually really very scary. And I, I really, truly hope that here in Canada, the politicians leading this country are taking a lesson from what's going on there, that they really need to start taking meaningful action, not lip service, not a lot of talk about mm-hmm. nation to nation without taking action, meaningful action that is going to address abuse of police power. You know, we've been talking about this all through the National Inquiry. It needs to be meaningful action, Mm -hmm. not just promises. And, you know, I think there's a very real message to be seen, to be heard, and to be learned from what's happening in the States right now. To think that that could only happen in America is a myth. All right. Thank you so much for joining us tonight. We really appreciate it. Thanks, Connie. You're very welcome. Take care. There is a lot of movement, of course, all the world watching the now official 
presidential race in the United States after the conventions have been done, and they are happening in a backdrop of violence. What else can we say? Racial injustice. It happened with the killing of George Floyd. And now we have protests happening on the streets. And it is being politicized. And who is going to win this political battle with this remains to be seen. The president of the United States today defying local leaders who said, stay home. And he headed off to the belly of the beast for some of this violence, Kenosha. Joining us is Reggie Cicchini, Washington correspondent for Global News. Reggie, welcome. Thank you, Arlene. Here we have a president. First of all, there's so many things that have happened for a first time. We have a president heading to a city of unrest where a 17-year-old has been charged with two counts of murder heading there. And local authorities do not want the president there. And he's also not condemning the murder of those two people, Reggie. Yeah, look, this was a uh, this was a difficult moment for local and state leaders uh, in Wisconsin, which we should point out is an incredibly crucial state for the president when it comes to re-election. So there were politics that were kind of inserted into this emotionally charged visit uh, by President Trump today. Uh, and you're right, leaders said, please do not come. We don't want to potentially have the uh, invite put out there for any outside agitators to come into Kenosha and possibly break that calm that's been on the streets for the last couple of days now in the wake of that violence. But you're also right. The president has been quick to point out the violence that has taken place at the hands of people that he says are Democrats, or at least on the far left radical side of the spectrum, but uh, uh, slow to condemn the violence that's carried out by people who are alleged supporters of his own, including that 17-year-old who gunned down two people during those protests. So there's there's a lot to unpack with this presidential trip. But at the end of the day, this is simply an opportunity to try and score some political points. And off he goes. And his challenger, Joe Biden, coming out just yesterday very, very strongly against the protesting violence. But even that is subject to being put through a new veil of truth, Reggie. You have the president saying he didn't mean it. What a time we're living in. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, look, the president has spent the last couple of months trying to paint Joe Biden as a kind of puppet of the the far left part of the Democratic Party, while at the same time criticizing Joe Biden's past for being too tough on crime. Uh, And it really has kind of set a low bar for Joe Biden here to be able to walk across and say, look, here are all the things that are going wrong in the Trump administration, and here are all the things that I can do differently. The president and people close to the president have said that Joe Biden essentially eggs on this kind of violence and these protests and and what we've seen uh, in cities across the country, Joe Biden coming out yesterday vehemently uh, denouncing the rioters, the protesting uh, that becomes violent, the looting, saying that this is not what we need to do to keep peaceful protests alive. And this is why we see Joe Biden starting to poll better in some of these key swing states like in Wisconsin. And we have the president going there, as you say, he's got these key swing states and the polls up until this point have shown the president behind in many of these battlegrounds in the head to head, the national. We know that that doesn't necessarily take into account the Electoral College. However, this has been a tough go for an incumbent president. Some analysts are saying he's almost running like the challenger, the the kind of attacks that he's making against Joe Biden saying, you know, if you don't elect me, this is what's going to happen in Joe Biden's America. But Reggie, he is the president and it's happening. 
Absolutely. It fails to take into account that the president has been the president for the last three and a half years and that this violence has happened on his watch, despite what his close aides and what the administration will say uh, is a democratic problem in democratic cities with democratic governors. It is still a problem on the streets of President Trump's America. And failing to acknowledge that is simply what's causing some of this kind of point spread between Joe Biden uh, and Donald Trump in these key swing states. Look, there are at least six or seven states that the president did win handily in 2016, and he's now struggling to, you know, get anywhere, you know, mm-hmm. close to Joe Biden, where Biden leads by as many as double digits in states like mm-hmm. Pennsylvania, North Carolina, Wisconsin, and the president using this kind of fear to say, look at the suburbs right now, your cities and your areas could fall if the Democrats uh, uh, win in November, may not be doing anything to move the needle, because as every political expert we've spoken to now has said for the last three years, people's minds were essentially made up the day that Donald Trump run, uh, that Donald Trump won, and here we are three and a half years later, he has a record to try and defend and he simply isn't able to do it. No, he isn't. And finally, you know, as we look at this and we look at the polls and and also after a, a convention, there are usually bumps. Joe Biden got one. Some of the initial polling after shows that the president didn't, despite putting together a very um, theatrical convention. Yeah, well, look, it was a convention that they really tried the top Democrats. But remember Mm -hmm. as well, the president himself criticized Democrats and Joe Biden for using so many taped elements inside their convention. Here we are now a week after the Republican convention. It contained more than 50 percent recorded elements, uh, exactly what the president had criticized. Uh, But again, the president took part in that Republican National Convention nearly every single day. And he kind of broke that crescendo that you often see heading to that final acceptance speech. Uh, So there simply wasn't that big rah-rah moment at the end of the RNC because it's also talking points that America has heard for three and a half years under President Trump. There was no policy. They're simply saying, look, if President Trump wins, you'll get exactly what you have right now. The problem is there's a lot of people that are afraid of what they have right now, be it with protests in the streets, be it with the economy, and be it with a pandemic. Reggie Cicchini, thank you so much for joining us. We appreciate it. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed the podcast. Make sure to catch On Point Monday through Friday, 6.30 to 9 p.m. on Global News Radio, 640 Toronto.